Radio, it's your boy Robin, back at it again, with my right hand man, Kyle, all the way from Singapore. How's it going, brother? It's going great. Happy to be here. Very excited. We got a good guest coming on, and I'm excited for the conversation. Another guest interview, because you know, we're, we're, we're revamping the show a little bit. We want to give flowers to Asian creators, Asian artists, Asian creatives. You know what I'm saying? If you're a dope Asian, we want you on, right? Mm-hmm. But before we get on to the show, I, I have a I have a quick personal announcement that I want to make. Oh, okay. Kyle, you know, during the pandemic, my media consumption has changed drastically, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you know me. Be pre pre COVID, I was not a I was not a K drama kind of guy. Now. I have to say, I've watched Itaewon Class, Startup, and recent last week I finished It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And I got an announcement to make. Your boy is here to stay. Oh. K-Drama, <laughs> your boy is here to stay. That shit was so good, man. You got hooked. I got hooked. That, like, that's, my, that's my favorite one. So if you're listening and you, and you like K-Drama, you haven't seen that one? Yo, check that one out, man. I am a certified K-drama fan now. Maybe K-pop's wow. next, but who knows? Anything <laughs> can happen in the pandemic. Exactly. It'd be a wild year. Exactly. But anyways, back to our guest today. We have a pretty special guest, I would say. I'm pretty excited yeah. to mm-hmm. talk to this person. He's Canadian, first of all. You know, hometown, home turf, you know. You know, Cal, he kind of he kind of left the team. He's in Singapore now, but he's originally from Toronto, right? Also, you know, I'm I'm following this guy on 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 Twitter. This guy's lately he's been doing a lot of the media rounds. You know, I've I seen him on like CBC and stuff. So I'm really happy that he made some time for the little guys. You know, the small fries. You know, so I'm real honored that he agreed to come on the show. But anyways, let's bring him on. Welcome to the show, Vaughn. Hey, what up, what up? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, you know what? I'm always happy to talk to my fellow Asians, man. <laughs> <laughs> again, I again, I've seen I I've you've been you've been going at it lately. I've been seeing you doing a lot of sh- uh, interviews, podcasts. You know, I saw the CBC piece that they did on you. That, that was amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm really fortunate, you know, with Asian Heritage Month. It's like one of the two biggest months of the year for me. So it's like May is Asian Heritage Month. And then obviously June is Pride Month. So like May and June for me are always like way busier than any other time of year. And, you know, with everything happening with Stop Asian Hate and all that kind of stuff, um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been fortunate to get on like a lot of interviews and give my thoughts and talk about my projects and stuff. I think like okay, me me and Kyle we we're, we're both in a group chat with our Asian podcasting friends. You know, it's a small group, but you know we have a we mm-hmm. have a chat going on. And I think w- the first time we heard of you was maybe like about two years ago. Um, Spotify did sh- promote uh, Asian Heritage Bunch. Mm-hmm. Asian Heritage Month, sorry, um, and we saw them feature you mm-hmm. on the list. And you know, um, me at the time, I was thinking about trying out 
uh, stand up comedy. Oh yeah, never right. had the, never had the balls to do it. You know what I mean? But so I so I so I followed Vong uh, on Facebook, and I see you like did a lot of these like open mics for. Mm-hmm for Asians and other comedians. Yep. Um, have you always been a community kind of guy? No, actually. So when I first started comedy, I was in Alberta. So I was like the only Asian for mm. literally for the first 10 years of my career. I never performed with another Asian because there just aren't any. And so maybe that's what makes me appreciate it more being in Toronto and having this, you know, community of Asian comedians like we've got, we've got like this Facebook group called Asian Comedians of Toronto, and there's like a hundred something people, all just stand up comedians. I was like, going from Alberta, where I was the only one for 10 years, to now having mm-hmm. like over 100, 200 people in the same city, that's, that's insane to me. <laughs> wow. So you're saying there's like an actual scene here in t- for, for the Asian comedy community. Yeah. You know what? It's it's not just volume. There's quality. So I did a show. Um, I did a show just before the pandemic called Rice, which is like an Asian comedy showcase. Mm-hmm. And it it wasn't just because there's a lot of Asians. It was like I I've been doing comedy for 15 years now, and this was the first time in my entire life or my career where I could say the five best comedians in Toronto or in Canada were all Asian. So I was like, Ooh. let's effing do a show together. Cause I'm like, these bitches are gonna get famous and move away. <laughs> I was like, I'll probably only have like another six months before one of them gets famous because they were just that good and on on top of their game. Wow. Um, so then we we came together. So yeah, it's 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 not just you know, it, it's not just the number of Asians, but the quality is insane. And you know, obviously it's gonna seem like I'm biased, but like Literally before now, I maybe in the top five um, comedians in Canada, there's only been one Asian um, ever. So to have like five at the same time, I was like, this shit is crazy. That's crazy. Who who is that? Who's that one Asian you're talking about? So the so the the prior agent is Ron Jossel, who now lives in L.A., but uh-huh. he he actually came and he's been doing it for like 25 years or something. Mm-hmm. So he's sort yeah. of like our legendary person. So when we did um, when we did the Rice show, he actually flew back all the way from L.A. because wow. I called him. I was like, yo, Ron, I was like, you're like the godfather that like you have to come and host this show. <laughs> and he, I was like, you know, all of us really look up to you. You like paved the way. And he literally flew in. He flew in for one night. Wow. Just to wow. do the show. Um, just to like honor like, you know, the new generation of Asians. And then he like literally went back to LA the next day. So he, he's That's a supporter. Awesome. He he appreciates you and all the stuff you guys do. So it's yeah. great. That's awesome and, to hear the OGs yeah. give him back to the community. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, Ron's amazing. Ron Jossel is yeah. There's there's a reason he's a legend, I'll put it that way. So you say you're not a community guy, but what propelled you to put these showcases together because you know like you you say you're not oh. a community guy but like ever since i've followed you i'm like this guy's a this guy's like you know like well or the community about- yeah you know, I mean? you know i'm i'm not i'm not saying i'm not a community guy it's just it's a newer thing because when i first started i didn't i couldn't i couldn't be a community guy because there was no there's no community to be a part of mm, right so now that I'm in a city with a lot of Asians, I, you know, I am more of a community guy, you know, 
like I said, because of because of the talent, but also, you know, also for just to be perfectly honest, for my for my own needs too, you know, like um, like I said, with with the with the five agents that I did the big showcase with, I was like, if you know, I might be able to squeeze one more year out of the show, but I was like, if we don't start developing new Asian talent, it's going to be two years and the show is going to get canceled because, mm-hmm. you know, we're just going to have the same, the same people on every year. So part of it is just, you know, you know, let's, let's build up the new generation. And also what I was finding is like, um, you know, when, when you first start out in stand-up comedy, you know, even more so me because in Alberta, but, you know, even, even in Toronto, like if you're, if you're starting out doing open mics, doing, um, doing comedy clubs, the audience is like 90% white, at least like 90% white. Yeah. Even, even in Toronto, that's so diverse. Like it's at the comedy clubs, it is, it is not really that diverse. So what happens is like the new comedians, they kind of start to like, you know, they, 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 they sort of start to shift their comedy to appeal to white people. And I was like, I wanted to show them you don't have to do that. Like Toronto's got friggin' 12% Asians. Like, <laughs> I'm like, Asians got money, man. Like you can, yeah. you can charge a lot of money and the Asians will still yeah, come. Yeah. Like our, our rice show, um, it was on Chinese new year. We charge like 75 bucks and Jeez. Asians are like, whatever. Like we charge yeah. more than Hannah Gadsby. Cause I was like, Asians on Chinese new year, they got money to spend. They're willing so to a- spend for sure. Yeah, it's a lucrative audience, um, you know, so like, why would you want to like, you know, appeal to like a white audience when there's so many mm-hmm. Asians here? And I, I think, you know, the analogy I always use is it's like, you know, it's, you know, whenever an Asian is performing, they are authentic and they are themselves, but it's kind of like if you're performing just for white people, it's kind of like, you know, like an Asian restaurant, you know, like in small towns, there's like the one <laughs> oh, Chinese family. Yeah. And yeah. sure, it is authentic Chinese food, but they have to water down the spices. They can't give you the full flavor. Or or they make the very red sauce, the the, the, the toxic yeah. sauce. You're saying it's the chicken balls of comedy. Is oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, so, so when you come to like these all Asian showcases, it's not just yeah. about the representation on stage it's the fact that like the audience is almost all asian so you can really like you know you don't have to water down that food for white people you don't have to water mm-hmm. down the comedy you can like really talk about shit you know um yeah. and it it really really changes how you know it really changes the comedy you can do because you don't have to explain things you know mm. And in stand-up comedy, like every syllable is important. Every extra word you have to do to explain makes your joke a little bit worse. And with Asians, you just don't, you know what it's like when, 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 you know, like there's a difference when I'm hanging out in, you know, in, um, at, at uh, Yorkdale Mall versus uh, versus uh, Pacific Mall, like there's yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> there's a wide difference. Yeah, yeah, there's a different camaraderie, you know. Like I I don't have to like explain shit, so it I think it elevates the comedy because I can do way more stuff. Um, because what I find is, and, and listen, I'm not like you know whatever. White audiences are cool. Like I will take your money, um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I think the thing is, it's like with asian audiences it's just i don't know you there's there's just a freedom of what you can say because i think with white audiences 
they kind of wait for permission to laugh. And especially when mm. you're doing like racial jokes, their first thing, their first thought isn't, is it funny? Their first thought is, am I allowed to laugh? Like, is this racist? Am I allowed? Mm. And it's like, Asians don't. It's like, if you, you guys know, if you call an Asian racist, they're like, yeah, obviously. Like, it's yeah. not, you know, yeah. you call a white person racist, it's like, you know, a nuclear bomb went off. And Asians like, yeah, yeah. so whatever. We're all racist. Mm. Get over it. Yeah. So it really changes the way you can talk about different topics because nobody's worried about getting canceled or all that crazy mm. shit. So is that what you oh. mean by catering to a white audience? Because like, it, does that mean like, you know, you have to explain like culturally what we're talking about and then they're a little more uptight with the PC culture going on. Is that what you're, you're getting at? Yeah. Or even like sometimes people will throw in references like so with, um, you know, I was mentoring like this new generation of, of young Asian comedians and um, for the after show, we sort of had like a showcase of like newer talent. People had only been doing comedy for like between six months and two years. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of helped workshop their jokes. And one thing I kept seeing was that was like, stop writing your jokes for white people. Like this is an all Asian audience. The audience will know if you've written it for white people, like people know. Like so, so for instance, can you give me an example of what kind of joke? Like, I want to hear a white joke. <laughs> is it like a joke that you would never tell an Asian audience, but they just do it for a white audience, and then they decide, oh, there's an Asian showcase. I don't have any jokes. Yeah, like how do you write a joke in? for white people? Is it's what sort I'm of like it's sort of like you know it's it's more like asking permission to be on stage. It's like a little bit like self-deprecating. It's a little it's like it's just really subtle things. So here I'll, I'll give an example and I'll I'll, I'll change the name of the person so that it, <laughs> so that like you know nobody gets gets mad yeah. but so you know uh one of the comedians you know from south korea they their opening joke is you know oh my name is and this is a fake name my name is uh Mark. my name is uh my name is uh catherine but that's oh. but that's my uh slave name and so i went to them and i was like you wrote that for a white audience. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, you're from South Korea. So Asians know you're occupied by Japan, not by white people. So your slave mm. name would be Japanese, not white. Yeah. So I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? It's sort of like a self-deprecating way to like enamor yourself with white audiences. Even though if you do that for an Asian audience, half of them can be like, that shit don't even make sense. Like you weren't yeah, like, yeah, because all of us will have white Western name for most part. <laughs> You're in America. Yeah. yeah, and so you know that that's just one example of like changing it around. Like it's just subtle things like that that you're like changing mm -hmm. around so that white people accept you. And I'm like, forget that shit. Like, yeah, for I, sure. I had to do that for like the first ten years. Well, actually, I honestly I never really did that because I, I just don't really give a shit. But I had to do that more in like the first ten years of my career because you know I didn't. You know, I think. You know, I, I think in in a comedy career, I think it's same as like a musician. There's like in a really important um, inflection point in your career, where when you first start out, you're performing at venues, and most people don't know who you are. Like they're going because of they know the club. Like the club is famous, mm -hmm. um, but you're not necessarily famous. And then after a while, um, you have to plant your flag and have people come for you. Um, and so that's like the big change. Um, and so I'm at a point in my career now where, where I'm fortunate, where when people come to see me at a show, 
they probably have looked me up online or one of their friends recommended me. So I don't have to worry about, you know, all this like weird introduction stuff. So I wanted the new comedians to have that experience to be like, you know what, you might not be there yet, but here's what it's like. Like there are Asian people who will come to see you and you don't have to like whittle down your comedy. You know, like I said, it's like, you don't want to be that, restaurant that appeals to white people because then none of the Asians are going to go to your goddamn restaurant. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let's keep it real. I don't go to none of those watered down ass restaurants. You know, as soon as yeah. you walk in and it's all white people eating their watered down Asian food, the real Asians turn and walk away and you do not want to be that Asian. Yeah, for sure. Now, now, why do you think the comedy scene is so white in terms of the audience? Cause like I feel like ev- like you know everybody I know who's not white, you know they fuck with comedy. They wa- we watch stand up, you know. So so why is it that they don't go to the clubs? Why do you think that is? I think well, number one, it's it, it's it's like traditional marketing. Just the way that the clubs have been marketed in the past have like gone <laughs> for more of the more of the target audience. I mm. think also too, there's like. You know, there's, I, I remember when I first started and so like, you know, I, I don't want to throw shade at like, you know, the club scene. I think there's a lot of great comedy clubs across Canada and they, they're doing really great things. And I, I started the first 10 years of my career, I, I, I did the whole club circuit. But I think like, you know, like there, there are shows where I would bring people to and they would never come back to see comedy again. Like I remember I brought my Jewish friend um to a comedy show at a, at a comedy club and like two of the comedians decided to do like you know like crazy nazi jokes and they mm. were just like what the f so like the underground scene where it's like you know when you're in a club it it is known for like leaning more toward you know racist <laughs> sexist not, kind of not jokes. a safe space not a safe space essentially yeah like, and you know they? definitely not and and the funny thing is like i don't even need like a super safe space Mm -hmm. like you know because i obviously i've 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 performed everywhere and like in small towns who like never even met an asian in real life before but it is like i i definitely get why the audience wouldn't necessarily go there um because what you know people just have an idea of stand-up comedy and um yeah they're just not they're you know, unless there's a guarantee that that's not what the show is going to be. Um, you know, I think to, you know, with, with, with the club scene and with, um, with stand-up comedians, you, know, you, sort of, you sort of have to understand it's like, you, you kind of have to grab people's attention in clubs like mm-hmm. that, especially when you're first starting out. So I'm not even blaming the comedians. Sometimes you have to be really shocking because everybody's drunk um sometimes they're like playing darts playing pool so sometimes you just got to say crazy shit um so i'm not blaming anybody listen that that's just how the business model works in Mm -hmm. in in the club scene and so you do get this style of humor and some of it is funny you know some like offensive comedy is funny but you know it does drive people away but I, i will say you know like you said basically everybody likes to laugh Mm -hmm. so as long as you market to them properly, um, they'll come out for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Now you brought up a good point and I wanted to ask this. Like I don't really know how to structure this into a question, but like, yeah. you know, 
but you know like you know it, it, with with comedy evolving and in society you know it's getting more pc right in mm-hmm. terms of the culture now us as asians you know like for even for the past few years we realize that you know even like if you look at the states the former president the stuff mm-hmm. the kind of shit that he says the kind of jokes yeah. that he pushes in his speeches right like so yeah. you 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 start to realize like wow you know like words do matter you know yeah. that uh, 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 which brings us to the stop asian hate movement like look at all the mm-hmm. consequences of those jokes that the fucking leader of the free world is making yeah. and you know so yeah. In, it, Where's that in line, terms of the in terms right? of the in comedy, because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people are reaching the, that crossroads now in terms of comedians is like, you know, in terms of comedy, yo, there sh- we shouldn't put any limits on it. Like, yeah, we could we should be able to joke about mostly everything, right? But yeah, where do you draw the line in terms of like uh, boundaries? Because like I feel like you know, as Asians, we all. It's been yeah. so normalized to talk shit about Asians or yeah. joke about Asians, but then like we never we never really say anything. But now it's like we're starting to realize like, yo, that's kind of fucked up that what you said, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know what? So I'm probably like more provocative than most comedians. I'll, uh-huh. I'll put it that way. So I'm I'm not worried at all. Um, I like my style of comedy. I I really really push. Um, as much as I can, but for me, I don't worry about it because anything I say on stage is something I believe in real life. So if you're offended mm-hmm. with what I say, then you're offended with me in real life, which is fine. So it's like, for me, I, I have a few like litmus tests before, like in my brain that I, I think of before I say something. And number one is, do I really believe this? Like, is it important enough for me to say it? And the other one too is, would I say it in front of the person I'm making fun of? Mm. So like, I like so one of my favorite comedians ever, of course, is uh, is 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 Chris Rock, and he did a he did a whole comedy thing about September 11th, about one month after September 11th. But he's from New York and he did that shit in fucking New York. So I'm like, you know, if I'm going to make jokes about like, you know, like, you know, the like the um, the the um, the survivors or the widows of people who died 9-11, I think, would I say this to that widow to her face? And Mm. if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, that's fucking good joke. If the answer is no, <laughs> then I'm just like a little chicken shit. He's just saying it. It's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like you know, if like a white comedian's being being racist, it's usually like in front of an all white audience. And I always think like, it would you say that joke in front of like an all Asian audience? That like you know, you know, Chinese eyes joke or driving crap shit. Like yeah. if you're not willing to say it in front of the people, then maybe it's probably racist. But that's mm. that's the main thing for me. Like you know, am I willing to say it in front of those people? And so like I said, my comedy mm. is is really provocative. Like my very first like big comedy show in Alberta was called I Hate White People. But mm. oh it was, damn. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was performed 
it was performed for a crowd of white people and it had a social message. So what it is, is like in Alberta, they, it's very common to say, you know, oh, there's no such thing as racism. We've, we've solved it. <laughs> like, really? it's, what, are you, what are you talking about? There's no such thing as racism. Yeah. So my, the whole point of that show was like, okay, there's no such thing as racism. I'll show you racism by like mm. saying, hey, white people. And then, oh, all of a sudden their racism comes out and they start calling me chink and tell me going back to China on this shit. And then, wow. then I'm like, okay, good. Now we can admit it's there. Now we can actually talk. So I was trying to provoke a reaction because of a specific community. And so, and I've, I've got an album coming out later this year and the title is actually, um, the title is uh, Yellow Supremacist. And mm. Like I, I go for the juggler. Like for me, like all, all of these like comedians right now complaining about cancel culture and all that shit. Like I'm honestly getting tired of it because if you look at Netflix, like more than half of the specials on Netflix over the past like five years has been about cancel culture and how afraid yeah. they are to talk. Like stop fucking complaining about how hard your job is. I don't want to hear a stand-up comedian talk about how hard it is to be a stand-up comedian. It's fucking boring. Yo, I didn't know you were such a gangster, bro. Like, yo, with your comedy <laughs> shit. I, I, I could see that. <laughs> that vibe in general. I was like... But the thing is, like, okay, we're, you know, uh, when I was asking that question, I, I kind of wasn't really directing that at you. I was more like, mm. what do you do when, when people in your community, like, say, when you hear a white person make a really fucked up joke about Asians... Uh. You know what I'm saying? Like that's mm. that's kind of where I was getting at. Where like it's like, like the, oh. the Shane Gillis kind of thing, right? Well, so, yeah, exactly. Perfect example. So okay, so here here's a weird thing for me. It's like, so it's funny in stand up comedy because a lot of times now people are policing who you do shows with. So like, mm. I'll get I'll get messages a lot now and they'll be like oh this person said something racist so you shouldn't like mm. you know you should like cancel that show that you're on with that person and like for me i don't know i think because i started in alberta i just have like a different thought process like for me okay. it's like it's a co-working relationship like right half of the comedians I performed with in Alberta were probably fucking white supremacists. Like they have the fucking KKK <laughs> in, and if, if I'm going to be like, I'm not going to perform, I'm like, you know what? You go do your shit. I'm going to do yeah. my shit. I might yeah. not agree with you, but you know, it's like a professional relationship. It's like when I worked in, in the business world, like, I don't know, like the person sitting next to me in the desk could have like really crazy views, but I kind of don't like, I don't give a shit. Like we're being paid to work together. Mm. And so that's something too, that like, you know, I, I tell people cause people will get mad at me because I'm working with other people. And I'm like, listen, yo, like, you know, I, and you know, this is like what you're saying about the whole um, gangster mentality thing. I actually grew up in, in Winnipeg, which is like the murder capital of Canada. It's like the violent crime capital. My neighborhood was called like Murder Lane because we had the most murders per capita um, <laughs> in the neighborhood anywhere. So like I grew up in the middle of like a three-way gang war. And so I, I would have friends in like separate gangs. And so one thing I always told people is like, don't make me choose because if you make me choose, I'm not going to choose you. Like whoever forces me to choose is the one who's going to get cut out. Right. So I'm, I kind of have that mentality when people are like, oh, this person did this or this person did that. You should take a stand. I was like, listen, I was like, they're just a fucking coworker. Yeah. When I worked in, and I know that sounds bad because I know, especially like 
with the different interviews I'm doing for like for Asian Heritage Month and, and whatever and with like Stop Asian Hate like for me I'm speaking out on it and some people would say I'm hypocritical because I'm working with certain people but I'm like I don't know like you said to me it's sort of like like I, said, I grew up in that gang mentality it's like I can work with people who really disagree and have like friends on like opposite sides and such and I'm like I, I I don't know I'm just very good with compartmentalizing I'm like listen they're like I like they're not my best friend I'm like mm-hmm. I'm just doing a mm-hmm. fucking show with them in like some fucking small town and then I go home and I collect my money like I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know what you want me to do do like uh, like protest every comedian who like says crazy shit or like yell at them after like fuck no like, I ain't got time for that shit people like I really don't or they just want you to call them out on their shit I think that's the main thing just you don't even yeah. have to not work with them. You just call them out. But like at the same time, you calling them out isn't really going to do much if they're going to still be racist or whatever in their act, right? Yeah. You know what? For me, you know, here's here's maybe a good analogy for the way I like work at human rights. Because like I said, I did human rights before I did comedy. And comedy actually is like a vehicle for me to like express my human rights thoughts. It's like, so you know, like do you guys read like, like um, X-Men? Mm-hmm. so like you know me and my best friend we we used to like do a lot of human rights and protesting and stuff and i'd say he's more like professor x he's like he's like the one who wants to work with the established system work with white people try and figure it out build bridges i'm more like magneto like <laughs> i'm like i'm like Fuck you know the humans <laughs> yeah i'm like i i ain't really got time for this shit i was like yeah. i'm gonna you know I'd rather spend time building up my own community, empowering other Asians and, you know, than doing shows for other Asians. Like that's where I'm going to put my focus instead of like what you you want me to like call out every like racist white person. Like that's fucking like 70% of white people voted for Donald Trump. Like that's like seven Mm -hmm. out of like, do you, I'm I'm not going to have enough time in the day is I'm like, my focus is on empowering the Asian community. I don't Mm. don't have, I don't have time. I don't have time for like that other craziness. Like, you know, you pick your lane and you decide you want to help your own people. And if your own people gets helped then it's, it'll work out in the end anyways. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm super happy that there's people like my friend and other people who do like the professor X thing where they're like, let's build bridges. Like, (laughs) let's let's do legislation let's yeah. you know let's mm-hmm. yeah, let's form a community but i'm like no like i'm like let's imp- i'm like let's empower my own people and let's go from there um I so that's you. more of my mentality yeah. i feel you you're, you're you're malcolm x you got the ak by the window you know what i'm saying like, <laughs> but uh you know we talked a lot about the comedy but you yeah. know there's a lot of things you mentioned that i like me and kyle that we want to know because like it seems like your come up, your childhood was, <laughs> was pretty interesting. What's special? <laughs> so you didn't, yeah. you didn't, you're not from Toronto. No, no, I grew up. So I was born in Thailand. So, okay. So I'll, 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 mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take you all the way back. So yeah, um, love it, yeah. 
So my family is from Laos, um, or mm -hmm. a large part of my family is from Laos, and uh, the communists were coming in. So my family escaped Laos, literally when my mom was like nine months pregnant with me in her belly. <laughs> they like mm. crossed the river into, uh, into Thailand, and I was born in Thailand on the way to the refugee camp. Wow. So then I spent like the first three years of my life in a refugee camp. I still have fucking diseases from the refugee camp, Jeez. you know, like you know like tapeworm pigworm all that kind of shit you have it for fucking life so mm. you know it, which is good. in some ways it's good because it always reminds me where i'm where i'm from because like every once in a every few years it flares up and you're like oh yeah <laughs> it's it, it, it just reminds you that you started out in like a fucking refugee mm. camp and then you know then we immigrated to um to winnipeg and uh, yeah, so I grew up in Winnipeg, like you said, murder capital, all that kind of crazy shit. Um, and, you know, my neighborhood was like really, really Asian. Like my... Oh, really? Yeah, my school was like 90% Asian. We had like one white kid in our whole school and we like beat him up every day. <laughs> so it was <laughs> like, it was like, you know, it was like the opposite because I know like a lot of Asians in Canada were like the only Asian kid in their yeah. whole school. Yeah. So that's where like my mentality comes from because like I didn't grow up wishing I was white. I mm -hmm. grew up yeah. like feeling bad for that one white kid that we beat up every day. Yeah. So it was like, I, I just have this mentality of like, you know, being strong and empowering your community and not, not playing second fiddle. Cause like where I grew up, we weren't second fiddle. We, we were the neighborhood. Yeah. And, um, and my dad too, he was like president of the Lao Association. Like we weren't allowed to speak English at home. Like he like really was like, he was oh, like, wow. know your roots. Do not like, you know what? Like obviously like embrace and adapt life in Canada, but don't like, don't lose who you are. So mm -hmm. he like really instilled that in me. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, the one thing too, it's kind of funny um, in, in comedy. So this is sort of what you're talking about with, with cancel culture. Um, one thing that I do worry about is like, um, like where, where I grew up, you know, we just had a different view of comedy and I know there's this whole big thing now where they talk about like punching up or punching down. It's like, you know, don't make fun of people like beneath you or whatever, mm. only like, like punch up. So like make fun of people who are like in a higher status or class. But thing is, you know, and, and I understand what they're saying. Like, you know, don't like just go after vulnerable people who can't like protect themselves because that's like shady. But thing is where I grew up, if somebody made fun of you, that was a good thing. That was like an introduction. They're giving you a chance to like clap back, you know, like trash talking was how you made friends. And if if people didn't like you, they wouldn't make fun of you. They just ignore you. So there is this thing of it's like, if you can't make fun of people, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for me because I grew up, it's like, it's almost like, it's more honorable to be like, <laughs> I, like, like, I'm going to come at you and then, you know, let, let's see what you got. Like, like, for instance, when I, um, like, uh, you know, in early university, I like, you know, I, I, I got run over by a car. I was like in a fucking what? wheelchair, all this shit. Yeah. This is, this whole crazy drama and I went back to university um you know a, a few months later and my friends were like fucking ruthless like they were like making fun of my wheelchair they were like imitating my Jeez. back spasms and they're wow. and the thing is I know this sounds crazy but it 
like it would it would feel worse if they didn't talk about it it would be like this weird awkward thing but it's like 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 for instance when i came out to to my friends and like you know most of my friends in winnipeg were you know not gay um because i was like the only gay person who came out of my community like they didn't talk about it like they they wouldn't make fun of it for like a whole month and i was like oh shit actually that feels worse like i'd rather you come at me come with some crazy homophobic jokes because then we can like just trash talk it out you know what i mean and then it you know then what happened was like I forget they I was like president of the um of the of the gay club in university and so one of my friends they walked past um my the student office one day and they saw me like on the couch being massaged by two lesbians and they were like oh okay and then they started like making fun of the the gay stuff and kind of coming around the club and then I felt way better and like it's sort of like I don't even know I feel like when people get upset at jokes and all that kind of stuff some and this isn't for everybody i do know some people are vulnerable and like making fun of vulnerable people is like not cool but it's like you know i do feel like some people get like really offended at jokes like just haven't had enough life experience like like for me in my neighborhood it's like we saw our friends get like shot in the head we've been chased with guns and whatever so like so like you you really think i'm gonna like get offended because you make fun of my back spasms like yeah oh no we Mm. can't be friends because you like made a joke about like me being gay like fuck that shit like we've we've seen people die you know we've had to run for our lives so it's like (laughs) if you can't make fun of like life then i don't know i don't know so that's why i'm probably more provocative than most and i'll i'll fight for that right um and my main thing is like you know i get why people are afraid of cancel culture and i'm not saying it isn't there but i'm also like if you believe in it then just shut up about complaining about it and just fucking say Mm. what you need to say and Mm -hmm. stand behind it because i'm like I'll stand behind whatever I say. Fine, cancel me. It's like, oh, you watched Mulan, so now you you want like Uyghurs to get killed in China. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I watched a movie. Like, just yeah. calm, calm your shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I watched a movie. I know you signed a petition, and you think that like changed the fucking world. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, keep like you know what I mean. Anyway, I'm going on a rant now. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Like, I think it's like I, I feel like that sometimes too. You know, like I'm, I'm like you. Like, I grew up, like I'm a hip hop guy. Like, I, I was a b boy. I, I break dance, mm. and you know, especially in the late '90s, early 2000s, I feel like the hip hop community was pretty toxic. I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty toxic. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like I talk a lot of shit. I talk a lot of shit. All my friends talk shit. You know, we made fun of each other all the time, and it was like. It's like if someone's nice to me, it's like okay, he's nice, but what's he hiding? What's he yeah, hiding? Exactly. Right? Exactly. If he's a dick to me, I'm like, hey, no one's no one's <laughs> pretending to be a dick. He that's him. That's him. You know. So he's showing me his real self, right? So I understand that part. Uh, but it's like when I when I hang out with like regular people, regular people, <laughs> yeah, the normies, you know, the muggles, you know, like, like Kyle, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I do have to watch what I say. Cause it's like, Oh shit. Like they're not used to this shit. So it's like, I don't know. Now that I'm older, I'm not a kid anymore. It's like, yeah. I do have to find that balance sometimes. Cause I know mm. some people are 
a little are not built for this are, are not built for that they are a little more sensitive yeah people are people are just you know there is everything just a little bit crazy right now and like i said mm. if there's one thing that i can't take it's performative shit it's like mm. have you actually done shit more than like you know sign like if you, great you sign a petition or great you like tweeted a hashtag like good for you like but don't come in my face like you actually done shit because you mm. haven't i can't stand performative bullshit that's amazing um let's go a little lighter let's go a little okay lighter. okay okay <laughs> let's go a little lighter uh no yeah. everything everything we've been talking about was great um now you talked about your come up you know asian yeah. gangsters hanging out with asian gangsters mm. were, were were you always funny as a kid yeah you know i was you know i i always was pretty funny at least i like to think so but where it came from was so i don't know i i had a really really weird weird um weird childhood so i grew up in the ghetto and uh. like so, you know, like I said, my dad was like president of the Lao community and everything. And the thing is, because there's so much poverty, the Lao community was like getting a lot of bad press, like, you know, murder, gang warfare, oh, really? all this crazy shit. Like, you know, like I'd fucking, I like, you know, I, I'd open up like um, the newspaper and it'd be like, oh, this Lao kid I know, like fucking you know, mugged an 80 year old woman. And instead of just stealing her purse, decided to like stab her to death. And you're like, come on, dude, like just, just take her purse. Like you don't have to stab her to death. <laughs> or like, there's like, a, there's like, oh, there's like another story where it's like, you know, you know, these two loud kids, they like, um, they like, uh, they, they attacked a paraplegic and then Fuck. like, you know, like stole his wheelchair and then like just went joyriding in his fucking wheelchair and like so we're getting like all this horrible horrible bad press and so me i was kind of like the opposite i was like you know i would it, it's weird to tell this story because it just sounds like i'm like super conceited even though like obviously as a stand-up comedian you have to be somewhat like super confident in yourself mm -hmm. but like honestly i'm saying this matter of fact like it was just more like when I was growing up, my friend's nickname for me was 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 uh, the chosen one because so <laughs> so like all this crazy shit was happening, and then I was like having success in in school and in sports and in a lot of different things like like my and so I was starting to like get in the newspaper for like good things um mm -hmm. you know and so then my my parents just kept putting me in like all these different competitions so that we could just get more good press because i just kept like winning like and even like crazy shit like i'm like I, i'm the winnipeg typing champion like just like what mm. weird... you guys had a competition <laughs> oh my god yeah it was like literally anything you can think of you know, homepage design competition like anything that i could win to get in the newspaper so my community had like good press like it so was that it was, easy to get on the newspaper <laughs> well you know it if, if if you win competitions and it, they, people always look for like good news stories so ever since i was young i had like this whole thing so that's where my it's gonna sound funny but that's where my comedy came from because if i wasn't funny i would have no friends because like there were loud kids in my school who were forced to go to my school because i went there and oh, like wow. they're 
your parents would be like, oh, you need to look up to Vong. He's like such a good. And like, <laughs> I'm like, fucking don't say that shit. I'm not going to have any friends ever. Respect the typing champion, motherfuckers. Yeah. You know <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like, it's like, so, so, like my friends, my friends would even show me. They're like, oh my God, Vong. They're like, I, yeah. they're, they were like, I thought you were such an ass before I met you. Cause like people before they met me would hate me. Cause they're like, they're like, you know, my parents have like a fucking scrapbook. Of you, oh that my they fucking god. Show oh my god! You're the dude. You're the dude that the Asian parents are like talking shit about their own kid about. You know? Yeah, you're the one that that get compared. So why can't you oh type my. fast like Vaughn? You know? Why can't you be like Vaughn? So, so that's where my comedy came from because, like, yeah. ever since I was like even in elementary, like you know, kids would come at me like, oh, you think you're all this and all that shit. Oh, like, because like you said, they already hated me because their parents would like tell them to be more like me. So I had to be funny. And that's also where my my attitude comes from because even when I was, I remember saying this in grade two because somebody was trying to like make fun of me for like being like, you know, the, I was basically like like the, like the top student in like every grade <clears throat> pretty much from like grade one so I graduated high school and yeah. so like they would make fun of me for being like you know good at good at good at school and I just remember even in grade two I went up to like this quote-unquote bully and I was like listen bitch just because <laughs> oh. I'm smarter than you doesn't mean we can't be friends okay like I'm yeah. totally okay with having dumb friends so get <laughs> over yourself <laughs> and let's go Damn. And so I would say that's where my personality comes from. Because I was like, no, no, no. I am not going to, like, pretend to be dumb so you, like, feel less dumb. Like, it's okay. We both know I'm, like, smarter than you. So that that doesn't really change whether we should, like, play on the playground. Like, But where did you get that kind of confidence? Because, like, that's kind of – that's a very confident move right there to say, like, bitch are we gonna be friends or not you know like you know because like a lot of people would just like you know uh avoid conflict you know i just i just i will say and i will say if if i have a superpower obviously i'm not like me though i can't like move things with my brain yeah but if i have a superpower it's that for whatever reason like you know people have like you know they have diagnosed that like inferiority complex whatever mm-hmm. it was ever since i was little i had like the reverse like a superiority complex like i i just never i think i just i told myself really early in life because like i said you know i grew up in the ghetto like out of my school of a thousand people seven people went to university and two people graduated so i was like i know the fucking odds are against me but one thing i always said is it's like if I fail, if I don't succeed in life, it's not going to be because I didn't think I could do it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like somebody else is going to have to stop me because I ain't stopping myself. And that's where the confidence comes from. I was like, you know, I might get run over by a car. I might, I don't know, <laughs> I might get shot in the head, but like, it's not going to be because, oh, I didn't believe in myself. Like why? Like, fuck that shit. Like, there's so many, there's so many real life things that are stopping me. I ain't going to stop myself. Forget okay. That. Okay. I gotta ask. I gotta ask. Yeah. 
What's the car story, man? <laughs> What's the car story, man? Why'd you get run over, man? <laughs> I just <laughs> you, you you talk shit to a gangster, man? Like what happened, man? <laughs> I don't I don't think it was related. I just I don't know. I was just walking and I go, I just got actually I, the funny thing is it, it happened twice to me. So Tw- oh. twice. What I don't I don't think it was related to anything. Um yeah. because you know, like there is one thing that like gangster movies get right, which is if you are that kid who has a chance to make it out of the ghetto, who has potential, they actually will protect you. Mm-hmm. Like mm. they'll never, that's why I said like I had friends from different gangs, but like it was okay because like I was never really like nobody tried to like put me in a gang. I wouldn't have joined anyway, but like you know, I was sort of like protected in the middle because they mm-hmm. knew I had a chance to like break out. Um, and so I don't think I was run over because like, <laughs> because of like weird gang shit. And besides, let's be real where I grew up, like they're not going to run you over with a car. They'll just shoot you in the face. Like, I, yeah. I know that, I know that sounds like whatever, but like, yeah. that's real, right? Like they're not, they're more direct than that shit. They they're not gonna kill you with road rage. Like that's some weak shit. Like they're <laughs> like, you know yeah, what I mean? So. Like they want oh, I'll put it this way. If somebody was trying to kill me, like they would want me to know it's them. They wouldn't want mm. like some weird mm. hit and run where I'm like, oh, was it? No, they'd be like, yo, bitch, I'm gonna kill you. And then they'd kill me. Like they want you to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's related. I think it's just more <laughs> bad luck. You know what it is actually either bad luck or fate because like I was in engineering school, I was going down that path. Yeah. Um, and then I just kept getting into like I had two car accidents, and then you know, in my third year, I like blew up my knee, but it was like probably related from the car accidents. Um, and I just had to do so much rehab during university that I was like, you know what? Sometimes maybe the universe is telling you maybe being an engineer is not what you, what you should be doing. <laughs> you know, after like two accidents and like more rehab for like a blown knee, Shit. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do what I'm just gonna do what I want, and that's comedy. And so maybe it was, I don't know. I'm not a big believer in fate, but it could be. So you knew you wanted to do stand up in college or university. Well, I was I was doing it while I was going to school. I oh. never really I never really took it seriously, to be honest. I just thought it was like a fun thing. Um, and I, you know, I knew I was talented because I had um, uh, one one thing about starting out in a smaller town in comedy is you get way more advice and access to like professional comedians mm. because you know, listen, every week there's like two headliners in town who are from out of town. And, you know, what else are they going to do? They're going to hang out with the local comedians. So like you get like these legendary comedians coming across, like, you know, like Mike McDonald, all like these huge people you see like in movies and shit. Um, and they're just like there and they'll just hang out with you. They'll come, they'll come watch your show. They'll come give you advice, all this kind of stuff in Toronto. None of that shit. So what, like really yeah that that's that's why i sort of like do this stuff for the new comedians because i was like some of them will go like five years in their career and not get like basic advice like 
Like for instance, if you're not using the mic stand, move it out of the way because it's fucking distracting. Yes, right. But like nobody even tells them that because in Toronto, like the comedians are so busy, they don't have time. Like this is where they live. They don't have time to mentor new fucking comedians. But when you're in a different town, a small town, they will hang out with you. So I was really lucky that helped my comedy career. But also it gave me like, you know, it, it, it gave me confidence, not that I needed more confidence clearly, but, um, <laughs> but it gave me confidence because like legendary comedians would come through town and they'd be like, you've really got something. They're like, you've really, really got something. And so that's when I really started to think, you know, maybe I should really consider this a little bit more. And, you know, and then after going into rehab for the third fucking time, I was like, you know what? <laughs> like, I just, I just can't do engineering anymore. Like, this is just yeah. too, it's too fucking depressing. And you know what? This is where my ego comes in is that like, when you're like top of your class, Deedon's list, um, and then you're out for like two, three years because of rehab and you come back and then your like classmates are your TAs now, they're like grading your papers wow. and you know, you're kind of like, you know what, bitch, I used to tutor you. So <laughs> you better give me a fucking A. So it's just like, my ego, clearly my ego got the better of me. I was like, I can't do yeah. this. I can't, yeah. I can't be like these stupid kids who I like literally help them with their homework are now like teaching my fucking class. I like, I was mm. like, no, I can't, I can't. Your story of like the whole rehab and stuff just reminds me of like a really superstar athlete who <laughs> surprisingly got like two ACL tours and then came back and was like, oh, everyone's better than me now, but I'm like on the bench and like, yeah. that's amazing. And in terms of like the comedians that showed up at your town and then giving you advice, mm -hmm. which one in particular gave you the best advice or ones that you really remember to this day? I think definitely, definitely Mike McDonald. He, he, he actually passed away, I think two years mm -hmm. ago. He's, so he's like a legend in Canadian comedy. He's, I think he's, he was, he's done like just for laughs, like 25 times. He's had like multiple movies come out like out of Hollywood and all this kind of stuff. I know like maybe not everybody knows who Mike McDonald is, but like if, if you follow Canadian comedy, he's like really, really legendary. And he, um, yeah, I, I was so honored. He actually saw my very first show and he just took me aside and he was like, he was like, you've really, really got to pursue this. He's like, there's something there that, you know, doesn't come along um, very often. And I, I'm paraphrasing because it's been like 15 years now, but he just really, he, he, he was, he, he, because when he comes to town, sometimes he does like tutoring and stuff for different comedians, but like, he really, really made sure to let me know, like, you know, listen, I'm not just saying this, like I say to all other comedians, he was like, he was like, if this is your first fucking performance, like, that's crazy. He was like, you need to pursue this you're doing comedy in a way that like is just so new and refreshing um and that really stuck with me honestly if i never met him i don't know if i would be a stand-up comedian whoa like, really whoa yeah like that's how much yeah. his words like really really meant to me because i respected him so much and he was like he was like there's really something special there um 
And so, you know, I, and that really helped too, because in comedy, you get rejected a lot, you mm -hmm. know, and obviously with my perspective, I'm like very extreme with my comedy clearly and like provocative. So like not everybody's going to like it, but I was like, but you know what? Fucking Mike McDonald liked it. So <laughs> F this shit, F everybody yeah. else. And I, I, I yeah. know when the king, like he's like literally his, his, um, his, uh, like he's known as the king of Canadian comedy. So like, mm -hmm. you know, like that's literally, like that's literally his title. Mike McDonald, King of Canadian Comedy. I was like, if the King of Canadian Comedy thinks thinks I've got some shit, then you know, who, who cares if other people don't see it? Now, when you told your parents that you're dropping out of engineering oh, and Lord. pursuing <laughs> comedy, how did they take that shit? Because you know, you you were the chosen one, man. You know, what I'm yeah, saying? the chosen so, one, the one how, that's supposed to get out of the hood yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, like so. So, what was the conversation like there? Or did you did you even have that until later on? So okay, so we did have the conversation. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. They didn't, they didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't. Right. They're like right. engineering or like, what do you want to do? What? Yeah. Like, how do you, do people even make money at that? But I will say like, you know, um, you know, there were certain moments that they finally got it. And it's like, so um, I think, I think with my parents and especially my dad, like I said, he was like president of the Lao Association. And ever since I was young, he was always like, represent your people, be proud of who you are, you know, you know, share your stories, all that kind of stuff. And like I said, when I was young, I just sort of didn't understand. I was like, forget it. I'm just gonna go play video games, like whatever. Yeah. Like, why, why do you keep telling me that's like, I don't really care. Um, but then I think, you know, so we, we recorded the, so I, I, you know, right before the pandemic, we, um, we recorded a show at, at, at the CBC Glenn Gould studios and mm -hmm. he, he got to see me and I think he finally got it like 15 years later, he like finally got it because <laughs> it wasn't just about stand-up comedy. He could see that actually I was doing what he wanted me to do as a kid, which was represent my people. Mm. And it was like, mm. it's in a different way right. than what he thought. But when he saw it and he saw like my comedy was about more than just making people laugh, like, you know, yeah. like honestly, most of what I'm telling you now is sort of like what I do on stage, but like obviously on stage, I like add jokes to it, but like, it's sort of like the same story and the same passion mm -hmm, and the same mm -hmm. viewpoints. And when he got to see that, he was like, he was like, oh, he actually is doing what I wanted him to do, to be proud of who he is, to go out and, and speak up for his community, but it's in like this different form. And I think that really helped him for sure. And also, you know, let, let's be honest with parents, you know, they don't totally get it until, you know, until you have success. So I remember early on, I was, um, the first big success was I was working, I was working with National Post on this charity show. Um, and it, it was like raising money for literacy. And they gave us like an eight page spread in the newspaper. And like my face was like half, half a page. <laughs> and so my dad, like that was the first time, like they still have that page like enshrined like on their wall. And that like, that really helped them to see like, whoa, you know, this isn't just like, you know, my kid going around making jokes in like a basement. It's like, 
you know, he's getting press and obviously the stuff with the CBC and different things. Like, you know, like, you know, like, 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 like you said, Robin, like, like this week has been crazy with the coverage, like the friggin' CBC, like news, I was the lead story and not yeah. for, not for like a short while. Like it was the first 10 minutes of the show was you just were. about me. And you it were. was like a new show. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. And like, and to tell you the truth, that's not even the biggest one. There's one coming out on Tuesday. Oh shit! That, oh, shit. <laughs> so so last so last week's that that one was great, but that that was a Zoom interview. Yeah. Um, and you know they they cobble what what they what they could, and, and it was great. I I love the host, uh, Marival uh, um, Tarouk. She's amazing, and you know I thought the piece she did was like super amazing. But so like this next one is like just as big, if not bigger, because. This one, they actually like brought me back for an in-person interview um, at the Glenn Gould studio because that's oh. where we shot the comedy special. And they got like a whole camera crew and it was like obviously COVID and shit. So we had to like take all these precautions and whatever. But like, so it was like a live in-person interview. And I don't know how long it's going to be on the show because sometimes they do an hour interview and I get 30 seconds. So mm -hmm. who knows? But like it was like it, it was like an hour and a half interview, y'all. Like Shit. that's 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 a moment there. Man. Yeah. That's, that's I'm excited. Huge. I'm excited to see this. Yeah, yeah. so it's and it's gonna be on Tuesday. Tune into CBC 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. um on like the nightly news. And like like I said, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up. Sometimes a 90-minute interview becomes 30 seconds. So, you know. Mm. If, if if that happens, then you know, then uh, then it is what it is. But you know, who who knows what it's gonna be when it mm. when it airs? I'll be just as surprised as everybody. But mm. yeah. So anyway, that type of press coverage and whatever that like, you know, I think that um that's what really helped my parents to accept it for sure. I I think in general, like for any kind of Asians that are trying to like get into creative paths and all that stuff. Just get yourself on newspaper, good or bad, and then show it to your parents <laughs> and you should be good to go because I have my own podcast as well. And a lot of times when I like talk to like Asian creatives, they're always like, my parents finally got it when they saw me on a freaking newspaper, even if it's a small bit. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that that's definitely the way to convince your parents. Oh, wow. This is actually a good thing. And it's yeah. okay where you do do it or else they'd be like, where is that career? Where is that like cash cash flow from like a nine to five job rather than oh going to late night spots open mics grinding it out that's yeah. all you need man they just need to see you in mainstream because they even happened to me like when i was uh break dancing they were like mm. yo what the fuck are you doing you know why why are you staying out late all the time you know like practicing mm. and then one time um one of the events like one of my friends it wasn't even me it was one of my friends made it on the chinese newspaper Okay, oh. when you make it on the Chinese newspaper, that's when they're like, yo, go out, go, go, go out, do your thing, go practice. You know what I'm saying? Like, they like full support after that, you know? So uh, it's funny how that works. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, now, my last question before we go in, promote all the all the stuff you mm -hmm. got going on. Um because, you know, as someone who used to, like, I, you know, maybe I maybe I am, still am it, interested in doing mm -hmm. some stand-up. Yeah. I know Kyle's done a few open mics as well, haven't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, we both kind of dabbled, yeah. right? Um, 
in the in in comedy, especially specifically maybe even Canadian comedy mm-hmm. scene, what's like the what's like the roadmap for a comedian's career path? So there's there's two answers to this. So there's there is like a comedy circuit, and so it's sort of like the comedy ladder and it's sort of where I first started out, which is, you know, you, you do, you do the club scene, you do the amateur nights at the clubs until the owner of the club, like, or the booker kind of quote unquote discovers you. So you move from like whatever Monday or Tuesday night to Wednesday. And then if they like you more then they'll start putting you Thursdays. And then if they like you more then you know, eventually you sort of make your way up. And then you sort of have the power of like the agency because like, you know, the, um, you know, like, like a lot of the, the bigger clubs, you know, everybody knows, I won't say the name here, but everybody knows like the, the biggest club in Canada um, mm-hmm. also is attached to an agency. Um, and so that agency will then help you get on like festivals. They'll like book you, they'll put you in front of people. Um, and so, you know, that's certainly a path to success that, you know, a lot of people have done it that way. And it, it's, it's a system that works um, for sure. So I would say that's one path. Um, I'd say in Toronto, that's maybe a little bit harder because like in Calgary, when I was doing it that way, like I would get on every week on amateur night and you could get to know the owners and the staff a little bit more mm. in Toronto. I don't know. You might get on once every three months and then like, it could take years, years to move out of like Monday night um, to like get to Wednesday and Thursday. So I would say if you're in a major city, it is a little bit harder. Um but then, um, you know, but then there's the other way and it's, it's the way that I'm kind of going with. Um, and it's, it's a very unorthodox um, way that I'm pursuing my career right now. And I would say it's probably more based on a musician's career um, than a stand-up comedian where like, for me, you know, I, for me, I want to own my audience. I don't want to go through clubs because with clubs, and they say clubs are great. I think they've done a lot for Canadian comedy. So I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying for me, I'm not going to do a show unless like it's my face on the poster. Like mm. I'm only doing a show mm. if people are coming to see me. I don't want to do a show for people who like never heard of me until I get up on stage. Like that's cool for like my first 10 years of my career. That ain't cool no more. Like that's like, no. Um, and so uh, with that, it's all about building an audience. It's all about doing shows where you're, you know, where, where you're the headliner or you're being promoted or you're producing the show yourself. It's about building an audience. Um, yeah. And so much of that is with social media now like putting out your comedy. And this is where I say, like I base my career more on music is because with stand-up comedians, um, it's almost like, you know, like, like, do you remember like wrestling in like the eighties and Mm nineties where like, they Mm -hmm. were like so afraid that people would find out that it was like fake. But then when people, when people finally found out it actually became more popular, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, 
people love that shit. It's it's mm-hmm. just like a, a scripted soap opera. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like stand-up comedy is, is still like, they're so guarded. Like they want people to think that like, you're the only person who's ever heard this joke. It's never been performed anywhere before. Like this is a spontaneous moment that we're having with you. And this joke has never been told before. Mm. And like, that's not how you build a career in 2021. That's why on my social media, I put out jokes. I put out, like, it's funny. Like people think when somebody hears a joke that they'll get mad if they hear it when they come to your show. And it's actually the opposite. Like people will come to a show and if I didn't do a joke, they'll be like, oh shit, man, I wanted to hear that. <laughs> I wanted to hear that, you know, Asian curly. They want to hear the they want to like, hear the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Like heard before because it's different when it's live. Like, yeah. That's what you get from music side. But like comedy, I feel like more and more people feel the same way now. Especially so, you're saying, when- so you're saying a lot of comedians are afraid to leak their material like put it out um, yeah as clips to where 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 really that helps you because you're building an audience where yeah. to people that would never be able to hear you if they didn't go, go to the clubs you're putting it out online like it's like how i discovered you like i didn't go to the clubs to discover vong like yeah. i saw you online you know so it's like yeah. that right like the social media age yeah and for sure and like i, I try and tell comedians i'm like who i was like why would people come to your show if they haven't heard a joke? Like, Mm. why are they going to pay like, you know, 20 bucks all the way up to 75 bucks? Oh, why? Because you smiled on a poster. Like, come on now. Like Mm -hmm. people want to know that you're funny. Like they, it's, it's like, nobody's going to buy the music album if they don't hear the single, like Mm -hmm. they, they need to hear you on the radio. They need to hear that you're funny before they pay good money. And honestly, most of the time, it's not even about the money. It's, like the commitment of coming out for the night once somebody is committed to coming out they'll pay whatever the heck the the cost of the ticket is because you know they're gonna have to you know pay for a cab they're gonna have to pay for dinner they're gonna it's a whole night out so like the cost of the ticket almost doesn't even matter it's just more can you convince them to come out and Mm -hmm. give up their night to come spend it with you and nobody's gonna like give up the night to come spend it with you if they've never heard you tell a joke like mm-hmm. that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's not gonna mm-hmm. happen. And so that's why with my comedy, like is it I follow like the music thing. I put out singles, quote unquote singles <laughs> of like here's a here's a preview joke. Here's here's sort of what this this show is gonna be about. Here's mm-hmm. you know, and honestly, almost all of my events are at music venues, not comedy clubs, because um music venues it's more elevated like the sight lines are better you can see the acts more mm-hmm. um the acoustics are better yeah. because you know like with with the reason why i i, I shot mm-hmm. my my special at cbc glenn gold studio is it's like that's where like the friggin canadian symphony records their album that's where like yeah. <laughs> opera singers record the- i yeah. was like if they can record that shit, then for sure they can record my stupid comedy special. <laughs> they record or, or dick jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, this audio quality is gonna be like on yeah. point if they can yeah. do like, you know, singers. And in my monthly shows, we did it at, at the Rivoli, which is of course like a really famous like Toronto music venue. Right. He shows at Cameron House. Like it's all music venues because I'm mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. I just. No. And then also the other thing too is, and 
does it back to to answer your question on like the different paths and like you know i know this might not be like relevant for everybody but my path was always like it doesn't sound crazy but i call it like the force of nature strategy which uh -huh. is it's like it's like you know you need to be like a lady gaga or like an alicia keys where it's like you're such a force of nature there's no chance you're not going to make it like mm -hmm. it's it's not going to depend on oh i was discovered in this club because somebody from snl just happened to be there like mm. no i'm not taking any chance of like you know oh i missed that one chance or oh that one audition and like forget that i need to be such a force of nature where you're going to see me on tv all the time you're going to see me on social media you're going to see me selling out shit where it's just so you have to be so undeniable like a hurricane like a flood like a tsunami yeah. that you know because like, like i said when you think of like a lady gaga like it's not like oh she made it because somebody discovered her it's like no no she's a force of nature yeah. that was inevitable like she's like mm. fucking thanos like there's no yeah. like yeah. That shit's gonna happen. There's no, there's nobody stopping it because you just. So for me, I know that's not like a strategy, strategy, but yeah, for yeah. me, that's like don't think that somebody is gonna just discover you and make you famous. Ain't nobody yeah. got time to make you famous. Yeah. Like go make yourself famous. Go yeah. find your own audience. Go build your own fucking career. Don't wait for nobody. But do you see like the like the new crop of comedians that you're kind of seeing around and try to. Um, tutor them mentor them are they kind of in tune with this kind of like path or they're still really stuck on oh i need to do the club grind and all that stuff or are they kind of realizing this is a better way to go at it because i assume if young comedians is like they could see like the power of social media for sure you know i still say the majority of the comedy industry is waiting for somebody to make them famous it, it's still the old really? system mm -hmm. you go through the club you go through you know you 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 know, hopefully get on a festival and hopefully somebody from NBC or a network sees you at the festival and wants to invest in you. And, you know, like I said, that works. It clearly it works. Like that's how Jim Carrey, there's like yeah. a lot of people have made their career like that. Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't know. It's 2021. That's not, I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not waiting to be discovered. Like, I don't no. mean like, it's like, it's like, I've always said the only credits that I want in my career are like venue credits. Like mm. I mm. like my next big goal isn't to, you know, do a big festival. My next goal is to sell out Massey Hall. Like mm. that's like, like once you like people ask me, like, how will I know if I made it? I was like, when, when I sell out Madison Square Garden, that's when I know. Yeah. Like I, none yeah. of these awards, none of this other shit like real power, real making it is selling out places. And my, actually my big plays, even it's not even Madison Square Garden. It's, it's uh, the Apollo um, in New York. That's, and the reason why is because my comedy is so like in your face. And what I love about the Apollo, like if you suck, they will boo you they off. They will boo stadium. you off for yeah. sure. Yeah. Like yeah. they booed. Lauren Hill, when she was 12 years old and made that girl cry, and that girl mm. is good, and they made yeah, her yeah. cry <laughs> off the goddamn stage. I was like, that's what I want. I want 
to win over the fucking Apollo crowd because you know if you win over that crowd, you can do you know. anything. Yeah, if you can, if you can, if you could do the Apollo, you can go anywhere in the world. That's awesome, man. Now, other than stand up, mm-hmm. is do especially in Canada, you know, like. I think the entertainment business is growing here too, as well. You know, like a lot mm-hmm. of more movies are shot here. Yeah. Is there a close connection with the entertainment industry and, and, and the comedy scene here? Like, do a lot of comedians go into, like, say, writing, um, do, like, TV shows? Is there that kind of path as well? Um, I would say there is a little bit. Like, there's definitely, like, stand-up comedians on tv right now like like ryan belleville is a canadian comedian and he's on the working moms show on cbc oh, nice. um and there's a lot of you know like the kim's convenience writing room yeah. um over the years has had a lot of stand-up comedians asian stand-up comedians basically almost every asian stand-up comedian i know in toronto has been part of that writing room nice. so <laughs> there is there is that path but i would actually say stand-up is a bit more disconnected from it than other forms. I would say if you want to get into that, it's probably better to do improv or sketch comedy. Mm. Um, like that's a little bit more closely related because like that's still considered acting. Right. Like yeah. even even like improv, even though it's like live and you're making it up, you're still playing characters, mm. sketch for sure. You know, think of like a lot of like the big TV um, or Hollywood comedians it's very rare that you get an eddie murphy coming from stand-up and then becoming a movie mm, star that's true. it's yeah. much more yeah. common to you know from like sctv or second city you know you've got like steve martin mm-hmm. or you martin know short yeah martin short you know chris farley it's just mm. you're really just getting more if if that's what you want to be i would say definitely go for improv and sketch it's just a little bit more closely tied. And one thing you'll notice too is like on TV commercials, almost all the actors you see on TV commercials are like improv or, or sketch comedians because mm, yeah. it's, it just translates. Like if I'm a director and you can do improv, I could give you direction. I could be like, no, flip that. No, do this, do that. And mm-hmm. you're just so good with like flipping in an instant. Whereas yeah. standup is a little bit different. Like, Obviously, I'm playing a character on stage, but it's still me. Yes. It's it's like you're trying to be as authentic as possible, even if you are playing an elevated um, version of yourself. So people don't, like, respect that as much. Like, like they respect it as its own art form, but they're not going to be like, oh, I want you to be in my movie because they don't consider it acting. Mm. Whereas sketch Mm. and improv, that is. So, yeah, definitely, like, there are people who break through, like also like Louis Anderson, obviously Chris Rock has done movies, but it's just, it's honestly way harder for standup versus mm-hmm. sketch. That's uh, more natural. Yeah. Interesting. And I feel like it got to be where, at least at the beginning when they start off, like say movies and TV, those characters that they play are very closely to their kind of standup kind of like, yeah. image or like just more, oh, we know it's about him. So we're okay with it. But if it's say, is a stand-up comedian going to a TV show supposed to play a character, but he just acts like how he was originally. It's yeah. not going to translate well. Yeah. Like I, so I, you know, I, I, I do have an acting agent and I do go for, for stuff, but I, it's definitely, you know, when I first got with my agent, it is what I said. I was like, listen, 
I, I play me. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like nobody's going to book me because I'm a better actor yeah, than somebody yeah, else yeah, yeah. because some people, that's all they do. They take acting classes and they do theater. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of like, you know, sure, book me, but I'm going to play me. So if that's what you want and you want like, you know, my fans and followers to come see your movie, then sure, book me. Um, but I'm, I'm basically playing myself. Like I don't, you know, I'm... I'm not like friggin', you know, Robert De Niro, like the like chameleon or some shit. It's yeah. just, it's it's me. Yeah. If there's if there's Asian gangster roles, holla at <laughs> oh, yeah. right here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But no, but real talk though, I feel like your life could be a movie. Like it should mm-hmm. be a oh. movie. Like I would watch that movie, you know? Coming out the ghetto, the Asian ghetto. <laughs> Getting run over two times. <laughs> <laughs> being from, being the chosen one to a comedian like that's that's a yeah. crazy story right here you know, or you could already... just write you could write a movie just about you in terms of like the yeah. typing champion olympic thing <laughs> that could be a whole movie <laughs> so you know the funny thing is so like i'm i'm such a control freak with things that i, I am starting to get into that area mm-hmm but, you know, like I said, I just don't think somebody's going to hire me because there's other better actors and like writers who just do writing. So I'm starting to do like short films and such oh, where nice. I'm like going to like direct it and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, like I'm not sure if you had a chance to see like the first episode of, of, of Fresh Rice, that web series, the, the stand up comedy. But like um, mm. I so I directed that. And I actually did all the post-production. So like literally from editing, color grading, sound. Oh, wow. Like everything. Basically, honestly, if people want to know what I did during the pandemic, it's I I went Hollywood and I learned how to do that shit myself. Um, (laughs) Because when I was younger, I I actually had my first breakthrough probably like 10 years ago. I did a a comedy special for MTV in in San Francisco. Oh, shit. Nice. I like the Great American Music Hall. It's like where Aretha Franklin and, and shit is like sung and mm-hmm. everything. But I had no creative control. And so they took my comedy and they like rearranged it and made it like I was like a one-liner comedian, but I'm actually like a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I produce all my own shit now and why I learned editing. So I was like, I I need final say. There's nothing yeah, we in need my the face. ownership. Yeah. As like, just as like a creative person, I just, you know, I, and, and also too, like, not just like on stage, but like the whole experience for the audience, like the reason why I produced um, that show um, at the CBC was because um, I didn't want to do a show where the audience didn't know me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because that changes your comedy special. Like I remember my favorite comedy specials from like Chris Rock, Margaret Cho and shit. Like people are lined up for like three blocks yeah. with posters, wearing their t-shirts yeah. because yeah. they're coming for them. And I was like, I don't want to do another comedy special where like nobody knows it's me till they arrive. Yeah. So that's why like, I don't just want to control the post-production. I want to control who's in the audience. I want to control what's on stage. And because to me, that all of that is part of the art of what I'm trying to project in my comedy. Let's talk a little bit about the show because mm-hmm. we're yo, we're already like an hour and a half into it. Like, I want to <laughs> talk about like your actual like crafts and projects. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I did see the first episode of the Fresh Rice 
comedy showcase. Um, and I believe like every week you're, you're going to release a new, uh, mm -hmm. comedian, right? <clears throat> now I saw yeah. the production. The production was fire. Like, it's like, mm. it looks like a real comedy special that I would watch like on a DVD or something. How did that come together? Like, th like the camera crew and all that, like, like where did you where did you find all these people? <laughs> so honest, so I'm such a control freak that yeah. I I was also like the lead producer. So we we had like a lighting designer. So you know like the crazy lights at the beginning of that. We had a lighting designer, mm -hmm. but like I also like like it was to my specification of like these are the lighting I want. Like literally. Like even even the rug on the floor, like I picked that I picked out Jeez. that rug myself. Mm, yeah. Every camera angle, I I picked out the camera angle. I chose the cameras. Um, it was literally to that level. Like literally, so um, so on stage, and you can see I'm wearing it now. Um, and you know, obviously I'm not part of the web series because my um <clears throat> My just a just a little bit of an explanation. So there's two things that were shot that night. There was the professional comedians. It was called Rice, um, and that was like the early show. And that was what I'm talking about. Like you know, the the five best comedians in Toronto are all Asian. Mm -hmm. So we all did like a full like half hour set each, and that's going to be cut into like a concert film, and that's not finished yet. Um, but, and then that one's going to be released for like theatrical release and like film festivals and shit. So, so that's coming out, but as a preview, what we did was, so for the second show, we did a show called Fresh Rice, which is like new comedians. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they only need to do five minutes because obviously they're newer and we sort of help them, you know, work through their, their material and whatever. But because we were filming the concert film, like they basically got all the same equipment and crew and lighting because it was it was already nice. there. So that's why it nice. looks the way it does. Cause yeah. obviously like a free YouTube video, yeah. you're not gonna spend that much money on lighting, but because mm. it's for like an actual theatrical release, yeah. Um, you kind of get that. And honestly, for me, like, you know, this is where like the whole chosen one typing champ, all that shit comes from <laughs> when I was young. Like, like when I say that I did the production myself, I don't want people to think like, oh yeah, this was done by a comedian who just had extra time during the pandemic. Like, mm -hmm. no, I was like, I was looking at my heroes. I was looking at like Chris Rock, his latest special. I was like, this shit needs to be like Chris Rock level. Mm -hmm. I ain't competing. I ain't mm -hmm. even competing against like Canadian TV. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm gunning for the best. And that that's, Chris Rock Netflix, that kind of budget on your own way. That's, yeah. that's great. And the funny thing is, so like those things have like $2 million budgets. Mm -hmm. I did not have a $2 million budget. Okay. <laughs> I live in a co-op and half of the co-op is a battered women's shelter. So let's just keep it real. This was like, not like what you see, the expensiveness yeah. was based on like, just pure planning. <laughs> so <laughs> like every, every. <clears throat> That's why like every aspect. So like, you know, as opposed to bringing in a production company, I, um, I hired, um, so I, I, I was like the director myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got like, um, I got like, uh, like, uh, like a lead camera guy who kind of like led the camera crew. But basically what I did was I hired people who are called like 
um, owner operators mm -hmm. where like you just pay them like an hourly rate to come and shoot it. But like I set up all the cameras. So literally they just have to come and like push the button and make sure it goes yeah. properly. Um, yeah. So that, that saved a lot of money. You know, but we had a lot of volunteers as well because it was like a whole community effort. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, the budget for the special was equivalent to how much we could sell tickets. So the tickets were like $75. So, mm -hmm. um, and it was like 350 seats and we sold it out twice. So, wow, nice. Wow, nice. So, yeah, twice in the same night. So, that budget was what we used because i was like i ain't going broke on this shit but i was yeah. like i ain't got two million dollars but let's see if we can sell out this is what we're going to do to break even yeah and then we only make money if we sell it to distributors so it's sort mm -hmm. of like the shooting itself has to be self-contained mm -hmm. um but yeah so there's there's a lot of things i would say the combination of um the combination of volunteers plus just the fact that I set everything up on my own, so I didn't have to pay people a lot because literally it's like, come stand by this camera and, uh, you know, push record and yeah. then give me the footage after. So yeah. like, there's only so much somebody's gonna like get paid for that. Um, and then also, um, yeah. And then because I did all my own post-production, um, just, just to give you an idea, if I, if I were to do it with a production company, um, it would probably be in like, like for that level of what you see on screen, probably would have been about like, like $150,000. Jeez. And we, we did it for like, like a fifth of that. And we didn't go into yeah. debt because we paid it with the ticket sales. Um, That's great. and so it was like, you know, like, you know, the funny thing is, so like the main camera angle like we worked on that so hard because so um you know like you said the concert film footage so my performance like you can't really see it yet because it's not released mm -hmm. but so the jacket you see now is the jacket that is in the comedy special and this is a rain jacket that's highly reflective and anybody in filmmaking knows <laughs> you cannot wear this fucking jacket for comedy special it's gonna yeah. be a disaster but for the I listeners was, like because we don't have video oh, it's a bright yellow jacket that you're wearing right now <laughs> yeah think think like a more fashionable version of like the guy from curious george <laughs> like just to help your listeners envision it yeah but you know obviously it's asian the albums we call yellow supremacists i was like i need yeah. this yellow this big pop of yellow yeah we had to do like a full day technical rehearsal to get the lighting so that I could wear this jacket because I was intent. I was like, my creative vision, I'm wearing this goddamn jacket. I don't care nice. how nice. technically difficult it is. <laughs> and what I was inspired by is, um, you know, um, Eddie Murphy's like breakout special raw, yeah, which he's wearing like yeah. the, the red, red leather thing. Yeah. I was like, this is my red leather moment. <laughs> this oh, is my great. yellow rain jacket shit. Nice. I don't care. Yeah. Mm. I don't care technically if it's the wrong decision. I was like branding wise. Yeah. This is it. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so like literally everything you see on screen. And you know what? Like, is it for people who don't know me? It just sounds like I'm like mouthing off, like being like super conceited. But like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping it real. Like, I literally did do all those things. So mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you think I'm conceited, then you know what? I'm, 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 I'm conceited then because 
that literally is what it took to get it done. And um, yeah, you know, it, and, you know, like you said, that's I, I love what you said where you, where you said like it, it looked like real professional because, you know, like I said, I I was not aiming for like oh this is good for Canada, this is good for an amateur, this is good for somebody doing it in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I need somebody to be like, this looks like a fucking Netflix special. This looks like an HBO special. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah no, that's what no. I was aiming for. Talk your shit, man. You're not conceited, yeah. you know? Like you <laughs> no. put that shit together. Yo, honestly, like I'm not even just saying because you're here, like the yeah. the quality of the video was like amazing, you know? So for people that want to check it out, it's it's called Fresh Rice Comedy Showcase. It's on YouTube, correct? Yeah. Um, now you said you're, you the other specials mm -hmm. with yourself and the five other comedians, that's like a separate special. Like, where's that, where is that going to come out on? So that's going to be finished for the end of this year. And then mm -hmm. we're going to put it out to film festivals. So that one, so the reason why you see all the production in the web series is because that was created for a theatrical release. So mm -hmm. like. It's, it's going to be the same, but like on a small screen, you can't even see all the details. Yeah. So obviously it's going to look similar because it was like the same night. Yeah. But, you know, it's not going to be new comedians. And listen, I love the new comedians. They're great and everything. But listen, there's a difference between a new comedian who just started yeah. and professionals sure. who are yeah. at the top of their game. And, you know, the video quality is one thing. And but the most important thing is still the comedy has got to be. Yes. killer and you know even though the video quality will be similar um outside of like being blown up on a big screen it's the i'm telling you the jokes of these um of these comedians it's just gonna be out of control and so like it's been delayed because i wanted it you know and this is where like my 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 being overconfident or conceited comes in is because the idea was we push it out to film festivals you know all, all across the world, you know, there's lots of film festivals in Asia, Europe, Canada, US, um, and anywhere that we get accepted into the film festival, I was gonna like base a comedy tour around it. Because, you know, like if I show up in like, I don't know, Japan and say, oh, I'm doing like a comedy show, they'll be like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but if it's like, oh shit, I'm, you know, I'm debuting my film at the, you know, uh, you know, the film Japan Festival. International Film Festival. And, you know, and I'm going to be doing like a week long comedy show, you know, over here after the debut. So that's the idea is like, we're going to push it out to all these comedy festivals and we're going to go there and actually perform. So it's sort nice. of our way of like planning a worldwide tour. Yeah. But because awesome. of the pandemic, I sort of pulled the release because I was like, yeah. you know, I don't really want to be, and I shouldn't say this out loud because festivals will get mad at me because they're they're trying to survive during a pandemic. So they had to go digital. So mm -hmm. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying for me personally, I didn't want to be a part of a digital festival because yeah. I want to go to the city. I want to do the promotion. I want to sure. have a performance mm. in yeah. that city. So that's why it hasn't been released. Mm. Literally, yeah. that's you, the only yeah. reason. And you want to give the film the the release it deserves. I mean, you filmed it how you filmed it, and the effort and all that stuff. It deserves to be in a proper film festival, be released in big screens, and then you could do a tour and then promote it and let more and more people see. Rather than 
digital digital of course nice yeah. is how things are uh, but yeah. it's different when it's on a big screen on a film festival and you can meet the people talk to them and like show them love for like watching yeah, it you put in the work you you edited the thing you know like you you gotta you gotta have the groupies man you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i understand i it is totally understandable that you want like a real crowd to yeah. feel that energy you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah. I, I want that goddamn world tour y'all i want yeah. i want the world tour <laughs> i know it sounds crazy but i want that world tour i, I, I want to go across the world yeah. debuting this film and you know doing like the director sit down q a mm. after the film festival and then promoting the comedy show like you know this is this is this is my chance and also this is sort of like the preview for my next project, which is like my own solo 90 minute special. Mm-hmm. Because with this one, I did it with a lot of comedians because I wanted to learn all the production parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of like also like wetting the appetite because this one, it's it's sort of like, you know, um, when they had that um, that uh, that concert film, um, the the um, the Kings of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then afterward, each of them, like Cedric the Entertainer, Bernie Mac, all of them, then they have like their own solo special. So yeah. this is even like part mm-hmm. one of two, like this is, let's get this out, let's whet the appetite. And then I'm gonna come hard with like my own solo 90 minute concert film afterward. This is so. the group album. And then you guys branch yeah, off yeah, yeah. to do the solo album. The you know? phase one, <laughs> phase two and such. I yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. I like it. Now, uh, oh, last question about the uh, about the special. Is it like full stand up, or is there like half like documentary features? Because you know you're saying this is going to be making the the festival round. So is it is it just like a straight stand up special? It is. It is straight stand up. Yeah. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. I might I might cut. So with my footage, I might recut my footage with some like you know, story-based elements, whatever, to make that into like a short film. Mm-hmm. That's just a separate thing, like the story of my life or whatever. But mm-hmm. that's totally separate. The actual concert film itself is just pure stand-up. Gotcha. Now, lastly, um, we want to promote your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to tell us a little bit about what's that, what the show is about? Yes. So right now, so the podcast is called Rice Asian Movies Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we review um, we review Asian led movies through the lens of representation. Um, and then, you know, um, yeah, and it, it's an all Asian panel. But I do want to say that's only going to be for another month um, because I feel like I'm using the rice brand for like several things and it's just confusing mm. people <laughs> so um the the podcast is going to be rebranded next month it's going to be renamed to um to um you better represent and <laughs> so it's going to be about representation in movies but it allows us like a broader amount of movies and the idea is each movie we review we're going to review it with a member of that community so if we do like a gay movie it's going to be like you know a gay panel in asian movies like an asian panel a black movie will have black panelists and so the idea is like you know let's review movies with the communities that they represent to sort of get like that viewpoint and that's why it's called Mm. like you better represent um and you know and like i said it kind of confuses people less because it's like is rice this rice that rice i'm just using (laughs) rice for everything so it's like no this is 
this is just about movies and rice i'm gonna keep as like stand-up comedy so when they hear rice they know it's my stand-up when they hear you better represent they know it's movies and representation mm. and if people want to hear it i would recommend Listening to the Mulan episode, obviously, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listening to that Mulan episode, <laughs> the one that uh, almost got me canceled. <laughs> um, before we uh, promote your socials, like I got a couple like quick fire questions, and it's kind of like okay. they're fun, like ignorant kind of questions, but Ooh. hopefully they're okay, right? As the Laos person, right, mm-hmm. and. You know, maybe you guys get asked this a lot, but yep. is Khan from King of the Hill? You guys, you guys ride for that guy? <laughs> you know what? Anytime <laughs> there's loud representation, we are all about it. We are all about yeah. it. You know, the, the, <laughs> listen, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't really watch King of the Hill, but I, oh, I no. do know. I do know that yeah. character for sure because mm-hmm. all loud people know that character. Yeah. Um, and. We're just so we're just so happy to have representation, even if they don't get it hundred percent right. Like, who cares? At least, <laughs> at least we're there, right? So, yeah, I'll, okay. I'll I'll put it that way. Okay, and my last ignorant question. Yeah. <laughs> As a uh, so you're a you're a spokesperson for gay super cute asians right so i got a question yes. as a as an ignorant cis <laughs> male i want to ask this in the gay community does the is there asian fever in the gay community oh my god yeah <laughs> mm. i feel like this oh could be a god. whole season <laughs> yeah there's this because whole... i've always wondered this <laughs> oh my god yeah there's this whole thing of like so they're they're called they're called rice queens Mm. like (laughs) old old white guys who only date asians is is this whole thing like i went on this i went on this oh my god i went on this date once with this guy and like he had like all these like statues and paintings of buddha and all that shit it's like you know you just feel like you're like entrapped in that house and then like you know, but whatever. That day I was just like really horny. So I was like, whatever. So <laughs> then, then we're making out, right? Yeah. And then he turns to me and he was like, oh my God, you're so hot. And I was like, oh, thank you. And he was like, yeah, I'm really into chunky Asians. And so oh, he had like this wow. whole, not just an Asian fetish, but like a fat Asian fetish. I was like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> like, I guess I gained some weight. Holy shit. Um, but then... I I started to to leave his place, obviously, because at that point I'm like, whatever, bitch. Um, <laughs> and then I take a closer look at like his statues and paintings, and then I realize like that's not even Buddha; those are just drawings of random fat Asians. That's like, hilarious. There's wow. like, wow. yeah, yeah. There's like people who are just obsessed with like Asians, fat Asians, skinny Asians, whatever. They're just like. Yeah, they're all I don't I don't know. Yeah, they're they're called rice queens, and um, that's fascinating. I can't believe that's you guys yeah, have that as it's well. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a whole thing, y'all. It is a whole thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> all right. I mean, yo, Vaughn, like we talked for almost two hours. Like, <laughs> I'm loving oh, this fine. interview. Yeah. Like, again, I I think I need to see a movie based on your life, man. Because like, I, I would yeah. watch the sh- the fuck out of that movie. I would review that movie on this podcast. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I just like, want that typing championship movie. I feel like it's a, like, perfect. The, comedy. I, think the, I think we found our title, the typing champ. You know, but 
Um, again, thank hey. you so much for you know giving us uh, giving us the time, you know, because you know we're not CBC, we're not we're we're a new <laughs> new podcast that no one's no one knows about. We may have maybe like eleven followers, and half of them are our friends. You know what I'm saying? So like, hey, you gotta start somewhere, man. Mad respects, mad respects yeah. for coming on. Like honestly. I hope you had fun on this podcast because we ha- had so much fun so interviewing much fun. you. Uh, you're such an in- interesting guy. I think we we would love to have you back once that special pops off or a- anything else you want to promote. You're welcome back anytime. We would love to have you back. Maybe get some more gangster stories. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but for the viewers that want to get a hold of you or want to check out your stuff, where's the best place to find you? Probably best is my website, vongshow.com. It's, it's spelled like like uh, gong show, but with a V instead of a G. Mm-hmm. Um, or on all my social media is the same as at vongshow. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, anything you can imagine is at vongshow. So, uh, that's, that's, that's when you know that the person is set to be successful when all their social media handles and everything they have is on point, the same consistent one. <laughs> the consistency that's, is there. That's, yeah, consistency <laughs> is there. That's the sign of them. They're, they're, they're either really blowing up or already blew up. So mm-hmm. we're uh, very happy to have you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, I, I, will, I will never turn down an interview request from a fellow Asian. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so thanks again for coming on. Um, Kyle. Now, Cal, Cal is, you know, I got to give give Cal some flowers on this episode, too, because he has his own podcast, and it's actually way bigger than this podcast. No. So maybe you went on the wrong podcast, Bob, but, you know, Cal's uh, uh, been killing it in the podcast game, so I just want to show him some love. I'm so proud of you, bro. Um, why, don't you, you, why don't you uh, shout out your show? Like, so, where, can, where can viewers listen yeah. to your show if they want to? So my podcast is called What Kind of Asian Are You? And it's a podcast featuring diaspora Asians sharing about their story, life and experiences, showing up, you know, things that they really care about or things that they want to tell people more about. It could be their issues with life, family, and all that stuff, and their creative projects. And you can find it on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all the fun stuff. And yeah, just look for us on social media at what kind of Asian pod you can find there. No, yeah, support. Mm-hmm. And I got nothing to promote. You know, if you just want to <laughs> holla at me, you know, yeah, I got Instagram at Conrock, C O N R O C. And with that, we're out. Thanks again, Vong. Uh, good luck with the special, and hopefully, we'll get you back. But peace out, guys. Later. Bye.